Okay, good evening, everyone. The subject tonight, Shea Parshas, Chaye Sara, is the giants we learn from. And to introduce this, introduce with uh, a story that Rav Shach, the great Rosh Hashiv of Ponovish, so when they looked at his Svarim that he had, all the different books, the book of the Chumash, book of the Torah that had the most bookmarks in it was the book of Bracious, right? The book of Genesis. And why is that? Because he would go over it again and again and again and again. Because Genesis, Bracious is all about human being, how human beings are supposed to behave, how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to interact. It's interesting in terms of legal points in the Sefer, very few, right? There are very few mitzvahs. There's Pruvu, children, Prismila, not having the sciatic nerve, but very few mitzvahs in the entire book of Rashi's. But there is so much to learn in terms of how to live as a person. And I'd like to uh, contrast tonight two people, two not such different backgrounds, but totally different destinies. And let's see what's the make or break of greatness versus failure. Okay. So, first of all, to introduce, there was a person who was a Canaanite. Now, who were the Canaanites? Canaanites descended from Canaan, who had been cursed by Noach because of the mischief that he got up to with his father, Cham, against him. And the Canaanites were cursed. And because of that, they had, you know, certain difficulties in themselves. What do I mean? I mean that the Canaanites had very, very poor midos, poor character traits. That's what Noach saw. That's why he cursed them, that they should be servants in the tents of shame. They should be servants to the Jewish people, and then they will meet their, their they will fulfill their destiny. But if they just left unbridled passion, like they are, and with their rotten midos, then things are going to be very bad for them, and it's going to be bad for everyone else. So Ephraim was a man who was a Canaanite, and he owned a property. He owned a few fields, and he owned a cave. Now, at the time in the land of Israel, Avram Avinu had become very, very famous. And why did he become famous? He became famous because, of course, he stood up to idolatry. But people didn't really dig that. You know, we're all idolaters. He became famous because he preached against child sacrifice. Oh, we don't dig that because, you know, that's against our religion. Why did they like Avram Avinu? Because he extended himself on behalf of people. Everyone knew if you wanted a free meal, you went to Avram Avinu's tent. All you had to do was bless Hashem. He had tents where he had a whole network where people used to come and he used to feed them, give them whatever else it was. Furthermore, he was a person who offered free advice, which is also a big thing. Now, a lot of people, when they look for like a consultancy, you know, they have to pay a lot. But Avram Avinu was one of the greatest advisors and he didn't charge anything. People used to come to him from all over for advice. They saw him as a man of wisdom. And he had made an incredible impact in the land of Canaan. He was a person who was Mr. Kindness, Mr. Direction, you know, insightful, brilliant, and everybody had benefited. And now comes a time where Avram Avinu, his wife has passed away. And he didn't do like everybody else does today where you buy a plot before for the burial. He didn't do that. What did he do? He waited until the point that she died, which was a shock. 
And then he went over to Mr. Ephraim and said, I'd like to buy the cave in your field to bury Sarah. Now, why did he want to bury her in that cave of all the places in Eretz Israel? The answer is, is because when Avram Avinu had been serving the guests in Las Parsha, so what happened was, is that he ran after one of the animals that he was going to serve, and he discovered a cave with a great light. And he looked into that cave and he saw that Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve had been buried there. And he smelled the scent of Ganade and he realized this is something special and I want to be buried here as well. So now the time had come and Sarah is lying dead. And he goes to Mr. Ephraim in front of all the people of the city, the Chittim, the Hivites. And he says to these Canaanites, you know, please will you implore for me to Ephraim in order to sell me the cave. And he honors Ephraim very greatly. And because of the fact that he honors Ephraim, the Canaanites thought Ephraim must be something more special and they appointed him to a position of authority. Now Ephraim was in a position, now he knew Avram is desperate, his wife is lying dead. He needs a place to bury, he's got a cave. What does he need a cave for? It's not so big anyway. And what does he do? Ephraim, what they say in Yiddish, he handles, he negotiates, you know, because Ephraim wanted to try and extract whatever he could from Avram, knowing that Avram was extremely rich. So what happens is, is Avram pleads with him, I'm willing to pay you. And Ephraim starts waffling. He waffles a bit here, waffles a bit there, and then he finally says, you know, what's a, a field with 400 shekels between me and you? Take it for free. Now, Avram was listening very closely to Ephraim. He knew that with an evil person like this, if you take a free gift, it's not going to be free. Like my father always says, there are no free lunches. There's going to be strings attached. And therefore, we understood he needed to pay him. And when he said, what's a field worth 400? He realized that Ephraim was trying to extract from him 400 silver coins. What actually was this cave worth? Even if you'd add the little field next to it. So Barry Kaplan brings was worth about 17 gold coins, uh, 17 silver coins. So you're looking at about, you know, if you take a look, even, uh, you know, 100%, which is 17, you know, and you're looking at 400, you're looking at, you know, more than 20 times the amount. And it's absolutely astronomical. You can't even imagine how big that is and how ridiculous it is to charge. And he's charging a person who everyone's benefited from, everyone respects, and he's desperate. His wife is lying dead. Now, Ramavinu says, no problem, he'll pay the 400. And Ephraim now is on top of the world. He is now in a position of authority. He's got 400 silver coins. He is just, ah, ah, look at that fool. I got so much from him. And he's feeling just great. Contrast. When Avram Avinu back was in Urkastim and he was with Nimrod and Nimrod threw him into the fire. Once Avram Avinu survived, Nimrod decided to send Avram a little gift. What was the gift he sent him? He sent him a slave called Eliezer. Eliezer was also a Canaanite. He was also from there. And he was a slave and he was taken in by Avram Avinu to be a slave in his home. Now, you can imagine it's very difficult because a slave is something, someone that is owned by someone else. He has really no identity in of himself. He's got halakhically no parents. And who is he? 
He is an object. He's a possession of his owner. And Avram Avinu takes him into his house. And the midah, the character trait of slaves often was to steal, was to be underhanded, to curry favor. Eliezer decides to learn Torah from Avram Avinu. And he learns from Avram Avinu and he learns to imitate Avram Avinu. He learns how to act like Avram Avinu does in terms of how he cares for people. He learns the Torah that Avram Avinu does. And Eliezer stars in a number of incidences. One is, is that he actually goes to fight the four kings together with Avram Avinu, despite the fact that it was an enormous army and Avram Avinu had maximum 318 people and some say he only had one Eliezer. Eliezer travels with Avram Avinu everywhere he goes and he becomes his Rosh Hashiva. He was the one who was doyle umashke meteroso shorab. Right, Rashi brings down that he drew from the well of Torah from Avram Avinu and he gave it over. Which means that he became a teacher to other people that Avram Avinu encountered. He wasn't just the faithful servant of Avram, but he was a faithful servant of Avram who also gave Torah to other people as well. And now Eliezer is asked to do something in this parasha that is extremely difficult, heart-wrenching. Avram Avinu says to Eliezer, you know, Eliezer, well, I can't take a woman for, for my son Yitzchak to be a wife from the Canaanites. Eliezer is a Canaanite. Rather, I want you to leave and go far off to Haran, which is in Iraq. Go over there. And find a wife from my family over there. Now, Eliezer thinks one second there's a problem with this understanding. You're going to a place of idolaters. I am your Rosh Hashiva. I'm following you. I'm your greatest student. What about my daughter? And Avram Avin responds to Eliezer, no, nothing doing. Because you are a Canaanite, you are cursed, and Yitzchak is blessed. Before the Torah was given, the curse of the Canaanites remained. And that would affect negatively, right? The children going onwards, etc. So therefore, the answer was no. And says Avinu, not only is the answer no to you because you cursed, but you're going to be the instrument of finding a shidduch for my son Yitzchak. Now, let's put ourselves in Eliezer's shoes. You insult me. You say I'm cursed. I'm your Shiva, You don't want my daughter. And now you're asking me to go and find a wife for Yitzchak? Why should I? Why should I? It's a conflict of interest. So now Eliezer faces himself. And what does he do? He does the most incredible job. He travels all the way to Haram. Before he interacts with anyone, he offers a lengthy prayer. And he offers a prayer which is brilliant and insightful. He says, you know, Hashem, I want to find a wife for Yitzchak. What am I looking for? The following. I want chesed. I want kindness. That when I come and I arrive, I'm a stranger. She's going to draw water from the well and give me. But I also want wisdom, says the Beis Alevi. Because I'm going to test her. I'm going to drink a little bit. Then have small cups. You know, by the well, it was barrels. And I'm going to drink it, but I'm going to give her the rest. Now let's see what she does. If she doesn't want to drink it, because who am I? But she can't pour on the ground because she'll insult me. So the only way out is if she gives water to the camels, but she can't get a little bit of the camels. The camels in hundreds of gallons. Is she going to go back and forth, back and forth in order to give all the camels water? So this is what Eliezer davens to Hashem. Hashem, if you send me a girl like this, I will know that you have found a wife for Yitzchak. 
And Hashem sends Rivka. And what does Eliezer do? Eliezer thanks Hashem and he gives her bracelets, two bracelets to say, Rivka, you are stunning in terms of your kindness. But there's another aspect of Torah called the mitzvahs between you and Hashem. You also need that, just like you have two luchos, two tablets of stone. Five mitzvahs, five mitzvahs. You're doing the kindness well, but now you need to learn ben Adam the Makkah. And he's kind to her and he gives her gifts and gives her presents. And when he arrives at Basu and Lavan's home and they give him food, he refuses to eat anything until he speaks why he's there. Can you imagine? You're tired, you're traveling around. This is something you didn't want to do. And what does he say? He says, I'm not doing anything until I tell you why I'm here. And he speaks out the whole story. And he shows the kindness of Hashem in finding Rivka. And therefore, please don't stop this. This is the why for Yitzchak that, we, that Hashem desired. And then what happened was, is Besuel, the father, tried to poison Eliezer. Hashem killed Besuel. And then uh, Lovan, the brother, and Rivka's mother said, you know what, leave her here for a little bit of time. And then we'll send her, she's young. Eliezer says, no, please don't stop me. It's got to be immediately. And they ask Rivka and she says, yes, she'll go. And Eliezer takes Rivka all the way back to Eretz Israel. What does he do when he meets Yitzchak now? I would have been, what does he do? He introduces Rivka by telling over the story to Yitzchak. Of all the miracles that took place, so that he understands that this woman is from God to be your partner. So here I have two Canaanites. I've got Mr. Ephraim and I've got Eliezer. Now at this stage of the game, who's the winner? Ephraim! He's rich. He's powerful. He's in charge. Everybody acknowledges him. He had the most incredible deal. Who's the loser? Eliezer. His daughter doesn't marry Yitzchak. He stays a slave. And this is where the media would report things and the story would end there. However, when the Torah describes people, the Torah is teaching us something. Let me tell you what happens to each of them. Ephraim, the Torah writes differently after he sold the cave to Avram. His name Ephraim is Ein Fei Reish Vov Nunsefis. When he sold it and took that money, he lost a Vov in his name. So what? Two reasons. One is, it was coming to emphasize the word Afar in him. He is a clump of soil. That's what he's worth. He's just a clump of soil. He's a piece of dirt. That's what the Torah will call Ephraim for eternity. Furthermore, the Vav symbolizes the miracle value 6, that he actually lost out on 600 silver coins. Had he, ta- had he just said to Avram, you know what? Take the cave or I'll, I'll sell it to you for 17 coins. Avram would have given him a thousand coins. But because he was greedy, he lost out on 600 silver coins. So his Olam Haba goes and he loses out of money. But it's more than that. After this happened, he lost all his money. So he ends up a pauper in this world and a pauper in the next world. Both. What happens to Eliezer? Eliezer serves Avram Avinu all the way for many, many years. Eventually, Avram Avinu grants him his freedom. And 
he merits to be one of the few people in the history of the world that never tasted death. He goes into Gan Eden, to the Garden of Eden, alive. And goes up to Olam to rejoice with HaKadosh Baruch Hu forever. I almost wonder if there's no little window between Eliezer and Ephroin. Well, Eliezer can look down at Ephroin in the pit of destruction and disgrace and failure. And Ephroin can see Eliezer up there. And what's so important over here is the tremendous difference that life will take you and your destiny and your future and the sum total of your existence will really depend on, well, is it, in, is it for me or is it for someone else? Eliezer lived for Hashem and was the ultimate servant of Avram Avinu. And he got everything. Ephraim who lived for himself, who was selfish and extorted, a cheater. What happens with him, this scoundrel? He goes down to eternal disgrace. In this world and the next world. And really the truth is, we all are faced with the choice of being an Ephraim or an Eliezer. Because when we encounter different people and we encounter different challenges and we face with many choices, what is driving us is what driving us, us, or is what's driving us, HaKadosh Baruch That's the difference. And the difference between the two is manifold. Here is just one example of the Torah of two people that were not part of Klau Yisrael. But look at the great difference that resulted from them. Rivka is another example of this, that this young girl decided to help a stranger. She didn't know what it would be. And she goes back and forth, back and forth for his camels, and look what she got. She got to be one of the emuls. Often wonder, what about all the other girls who came to the well, who were drawing water? Why weren't they Zoiche? Why didn't they merit to be one of the emuls? Because they didn't seize the opportunity. They were just interested in their own and whatever they needed to do for their families. And this is the great difference between the two. At the moment, as we're, of course, in the thick of this tremendous, tremendous war that we are fighting at the moment, one point that I think screams at us from the parasha is the power of caring, the power of actually being dedicated, the power of wanting to do for others has an unbelievable effect. And the more I hear, the more I'm excited about the amount of chesed and kindness that is going on Jew with Jew. But it's not enough to send a package to Israel. It's not enough to send money to Israel. It's not even enough to daven. But what really the work starts is at home. Who are the people that you interact with? Are you going to notice them? Are you going to care about them? Are you going to phone them? Are you going to say, how are you doing? Right? I heard a story, beautiful story, of uh, someone, you know, in Israel, who mentioned that he had family members that hadn't spoken in about 30 years. And because of this war, they made the effort to make up. Imagine such a thing. And of course, it's a two-way street. You need both parties. But in a case when you have both parties, isn't that wondrous? Was it not worth it? This is something where we are all being asked by a Kodesh Baruch Hu, 
in you, your personal life, who is there that you need to make up with? Who are you going to talk to now and not ignore and not dismiss? Because that's what a Kodesh Baruch wants. There's nothing he loves more than the Jewish people. And when the Jewish people are united together. There's another hero in the parish who also wasn't Jewish. Avram Avinu, after Sarah dies, and Yitzchak finds a Shidduch. So Yitzchak goes, amazingly, and finds a Shidduch for his father. Now listen to this. Avram had spent a lot of money and effort to find Yitzchak, his wife, and now Yitzchak went and found Avram, his wife. Who was, who was the wife of Avram? Someone called Keturah. Who was Keturah? So Keturah Chazal said wasn't her real name. Her real name was Hagar. Whoa! Wasn't this the one he divorced? He threw out the house? Yes. And Hagar did Tshuva. And because of that, her name changed to Keturah. Keturah comes from two words. The one is Keturah, which is sweet-smelling spices, that because she came back to Hashem, she is considered to be like sweet-smelling Someone very be- from very beautiful in Hashem's eyes. And the other reason is, is because Kata comes to her to tie up. She tied herself up that for years after she was thrown out, which is approximately 33 years, she refused to marry anyone else after she married to Avram. So she tied herself up. She held herself back. And when the time would come, she would marry Avram again. And Hashem made it happen. It's an unbelievable thing, this. Here's a person who got thrown out. And she humbled herself. And she turned back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And she remained chaste and moral. And because of that, she is known always as Keturah now. She is known as someone who is so beautiful in Hashem's eyes. She teaches us the importance. Unbelievable importance. Of coming back to him. And she merits to have another six kids. With Avram Avinu. And they were sent away to the east. Some say the descendants. You know India. Descendants of them. China. Whatever else it is. But the bottom line is. This was another example. She had every reason to be angry. She'd started off as an Egyptian princess. She'd been a servant in Avram's home. And she gets thrown out. With her son who almost dies. And what happens? She comes back to Hashem. She remains pure. And forever she's known as Keturah. In modern times, you know what people would say in that situation? You have to blame this person, that person, sue them, argue with them, take them to the papers. But Keturah says, no, this is what Hashem wants for me. This is what I deserved. And now I'm going to rise above it. And she rises above it in the most magnificent way. To be married to Avram Avinu for many, many years. In fact, she was married to him for then 38 years afterwards, which is quite astounding. HaKadosh Baruch Hu teaches in this parasha about giants, great people. Great people who demonstrate to us the power of what we can do internally, of how we can manage ourselves with self-control, kindness with the right perspective, and also contrast with wicked people who seem to gain everything, who seem to be on top, but lose it all. I'll leave you with this idea. 
In the world today, there is no nation, I think I can say quite comfortably, who doesn't get criticized as much as the Jewish people. No one who so few want to help the so-called kindness organizations in the world who are supposed to be looking out for humanitarians and all these things. You know, they're very happy when we get killed. But at the same time, we have to know that we are rising above it. And we are going to be the masters of spirit. May Hashem bless us to take Eliezer and take a leaf out of his book. To take Turan, a leaf out of her book. And to mirror and to imitate the avoice and the moles of how they faced themselves and they conquered and they won. And I believe that that's the root of here for us. When the Jewish people can look internally and we can find in ourselves the truth that is that Chloe shall need to be one under God and we will merit salvation, joy, excitement and love. Have a beautiful night everyone and please God, I really hope by next week Hashem, Hashem will have caused this war to be finished. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you. Thank you.